Hey folks, and welcome to episode 14 of Superman and Batman, the podcast featuring your two favorite heroes in one excellent podcast. As always, I am Michael Bradley, your host, and this time out, well, we're doing something that I hope will make at least one listener rather happy. As you might or might not be aware, in addition to email or sending me comments via Facebook and Twitter, another way to leave feedback and comments about the show is over at the show's home base, greatcrypton.com. And just as a quick aside, just while we're on the subject so I don't forget later, I will be doing a feedback episode at the end of the month. So if you've been delaying on sending comments or emailing in, do so now. I'll probably record that around... Uh, around the 20th of the month or so, so email soon. But anyway, in addition to email and Facebook, another way to leave comments is at the site, where you can leave comments on individual show postings. And a few weeks ago, at the end of February, I think it was, Sphinx Magoo said in response that he would like to see more Silver Age stories featuring Robin, Jimmy Olsen, and or Supergirl. Well, Sphinx, you're in luck. Because this episode, we are looking at World's Finest Comics number 176. Now granted, it's a late Silver Age story, but still technically a Silver Age tale nonetheless. Plus, not only do we get Robin, Jimmy Olsen, and Supergirl, but more guest characters from the Superman and Batman families. So just remember, if you don't like this episode, it's all Sphinx's fault. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, World's Finest Comics number 176 was released April 25th, 1968. It's got a June 1968 cover date and 32 pages for the cover price of 12 cents. Our cover is by Neil Adams and features a stark red background with the heads of Batman, Superman, Supergirl, and Batgirl squaring off against one another. While in the center, a silhouetted form in a chair says, These four heroes will destroy themselves, fighting over me! Who am I? And to be honest, I am less than impressed with this cover. Uh, Sure, it's Neil Adams, so all the characters look great, but all the characters could have been clipped from any number of interior panels in in various Neil Adams-drawn stories, and compared to other world's finest comics covers from around this time this one looks really phoned in Uh, but turning inside our lead feature in the book is an 18 page story which was written by Carrie Bates penciled by Neil Adams inked by either Adams or Dick Giordano and edited by Mort Weisinger the opening splash is split down the middle and on the left we see Superman in the tattered remnants of Clark Kent's clothing with a shadowed figure looming in the foreground, pointing out that he has proved Clark and Superman are one and the same. On the right, we see Batman, menaced by an equally shadowed figure, greeting the Dark Knight with a, Hello, Batman! Or should I say, Bruce Wayne? These two men had discovered the identities of the world's greatest crime fighters. Are they up to good or evil? And will they bring about the Superman... Batman split. As we begin, reporter Clark Kent goes to interview renowned actor Ronald Jason. After a tour of the mansion, Jason takes Clark to his study, 
and surprises the reporter by revealing that he knows Clark Kent and Superman are one and the same. Clark asks where he'd get a crazy idea like that, and Jason responds by hurling a chemical bomb at Clark's chest, which explodes, dissolving his suit and revealing the Superman costume underneath. With Clark's secret not so secret anymore, Jason then reveals a secret of his own, pulling off a mask and revealing that he is an alien. He says his name is Durr, and that he comes from the fifth planet in the Sirius solar system. There, he holds the role equivalent to that of the American vice president. Recently, the equivalent of the president was assassinated, but law dictates that he must have a 10-day mourning period before taking office. Given that the planet has observed Earths for years, and therefore know all of our languages, customs, and even Superman's identity, he pleads with the Man of Steel to keep him safe from enemy agents until the mourning period is over. Without asking too many questions, and by too many I mean none at all, Superman agrees, taking Durr to the Fortress of Solitude for safekeeping, and leaving him there while he heads out, quote, to perform a vital mission in another galaxy. It's a matter of life and death for billions, unquote. Later, Batman arrives at the Batcave to find an alien intruder of his very own. Yes, that's right. Batman pulls into the Batcave, and there's an alien just sitting there. An alien who literally waves and says, Hello, Batman! And apparently this is perfectly normal, because Batman seems more upset that there is an alien in the Batcave than surprised that there is an alien in the Batcave. Anyway, this alien explains that his name is Tyron, and that he is a law enforcement agent from a distant planet who has come to Earth to apprehend a deadly fugitive. He somehow knows that Batman is Earth's greatest detective and that he is Bruce Wayne, though they don't really explain how he knows these things or why Batman is concerned that the alien knows all his secrets. But the alien wants Batman's help, so Batman is, you know, more than willing to help. Help. It's a lot of helps. But anyway, again, without asking too many questions, and again, by too many, I mean not at all, Batman agrees and asks what else Tyron can tell him about the fugitive. Tyron says only that he will stop at nothing to save himself, and that his name is Durr. Soon, Batman and Tyron are winging their way through the sky in a bat plane. Batman says they'll contact Superman, but Tyron warns against it, saying that he's learned that Durr has tricked Superman into helping him. And Batman's like, you couldn't have told me this before I flew halfway across the country? And Tyron says, well, you, you didn't ask. And Batman says, yeah, I kind of did when I said tell me all you know about the fugitive. Do you know how much fuel costs for the Batplane? Resigned, Tyron says, yeah, I couldn't afford that on a policeman's salary either. I mean, you could, because you're... Because I'm Batman. I was going to say rich. I am also rich. I'm rich Batman. Oh my gosh. You know, some might think So anyway, Batman knows they need to even the odds. So he flies over Stanhope College, firing off an ultrasonic signal to get the attention of one Linda Danvers, a.k.a. Supergirl. The three soon meet in a clearing near the school, and Supergirl agrees to help, even though it means she will have to battle her own cousin. Cue dramatic music here. She further suggests that the best place to look is in Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Tyron leaves to rendezvous with other agents from his world, saying he'll meet them at the fortress as soon as possible. 
Again, not questioning how Tyron knows where the fortress is, Supergirl and Batman head out, soon arriving at their Arctic destination. Supergirl starts to use the giant key to unlock the door, but Superman suddenly appears, telling the heroes to back off. Instead of having a simple conversation, Supergirl replies by smacking Superman in the face with the giant key and engaging him in battle long enough for Batman to slip inside the fortress and find Durr. Unfortunately, the Girl of Steel is no match for her super-powered cousin, and Superman quickly takes her out and then goes after Batman, capturing him in a cage from the interplanetary zoo and flying Durr away to safety. Supergirl returns to the fortress and frees Batman, while thousands of miles away, Superman digs a cave for Durr to use as safe haven before flying off to find a partner of his own to take on the, uh, formidable team of Batman and Supergirl. Part 2, A Tale of Three Teams. The next morning, in Gotham City, Barbara Gordon, secretly Batgirl, hears a radio report of a statue that has come to life in Gotham City Park. The Domino Daredoll springs to action, arriving at the park only to discover that the walking statue is in fact Superman in disguise. No, dear listener, the Man of Steel hasn't been dipping into the other kind of green kryptonite. As he explains, since he doesn't know Batgirl's secret identity, he was forced to create a mystery to get Batgirl's attention. Superman brings the curvaceous crime fighter, the book's words, not mine, up to date, and Batgirl agrees to help once again without asking Nary a question. Jumping forward yet another day, cub reporter Jimmy Olsen returns home to find a strange visitor in his apartment. No, not a third alien, but Robin, the boy wonder. Robin and Jimmy talk about the feud between the world's finest heroes and decide to look into it by going to the Eyrie, a mountaintop observatory that serves as secret headquarters to the Olsen-Robin team. That's right, Jimmy and Robin have their own secret love nest. I, I mean headquarters. Headquarters. Jimmy and Robin have their own secret headquarters. <clears throat> a headquarters so secret, in fact, that even Superman and Batman don't know about it. Or the spy cameras that Jimmy and Robin have placed in the fortress in the Batcave, which allow them to perv on the heroes that they supposedly trust. And no, I didn't misspeak on that part. The sidekicks tune into the Fortress Peep Show just in time to see Batman and Supergirl leaving and are shocked, shocked I say, when right before their eyes, but hidden from us the reader, the secret of the two aliens is revealed. Robin and Jimmy run toward a plane in order to get the heroes and fill them in, but before they can leave the Eyrie, a pellet falls from an opening in the building's dome releasing a knockout gas that leaves them both unconscious. Meanwhile, Batman, Supergirl, and Tyron have caught up to Superman by tracking the frequency in his JLA signal device. The Man of Steel is standing guard outside Durr's cave, so Batman puts on some kryptonite-laced gloves and begins to beat the crypto-snot out of Superman. Supergirl uses the fight as a distraction to try and break into the cave, but Batgirl sprays her with an implausibly large amount of synthetic adhesive in a scene that would in no way allow for a really inappropriate joke. The Maid of Might uses her heat vision to evaporate the sticky fluid. Again, the book's words, not mine. And now, it is so on. But Supergirl, 
Well, Supergirl don't mess around with that sissy slap and hair pulling style of fighting. Oh no. She goes all hardcore and throws Batgirl off the cliff. With Superman too weak from Batman's kryptonite sucker punches to save her, the Dark Knight springs into action, catching Batgirl moments before she becomes Bat-Paste. Superman uses the respite to recover his strength and then uses his cape to tie up Batman, which allows Batgirl to remove the kryptonite gloves and eliminate the threat. Just as Batman is blaming Supergirl for screwing things up, the entire scene is interrupted when Tyron suddenly collapses. As the heroes jump to his aid, Tyron tells them to look closely at his face. A face which is not a face at all, but a mask. A mask that hides his true identity. Ronald Jason. Confused? Well, thankfully, I can clear that up. It's been a few episodes, but it's time for another ride down Exposition Highway. explains that he has been playing the role of both aliens all along. With his dying breaths, he explains that his late brother, Desmond, was a brilliant scientist. His greatest discovery was working with voice prints that he found to be as unique as fingerprints. Through his research on voice patterns, he discovered that Superman is Clark Kent and Batman is Bruce Wayne. As Desmond was explaining this to Ronald, a radioactive element in Desmond's lab exploded killing Desmond and giving Ronald radiation poisoning. With only weeks to live, Ronald salvaged what he could from his brother's laboratory and set about on what would be his greatest performance of all time, fooling Superman and Batman. He used his knowledge of makeup and disguise to make a costume, his brother's invention of a high-speed jetpack to fly from one place to another in mere minutes, and his knowledge of Bruce Wayne's identity to find the Batcave. And the rest, as they say is this really terrible story. As Ronald breathes his last, Robin and Jimmy show up, just in the nick of five minutes too late. They say they would have been there earlier if it hadn't been for the whole, you know, being unconscious thing, and Superman reveals, the shockiest of all shocks, that he was the one who was responsible for that. You see, Superman and Batman have known from the beginning that Ronald was pretending to be an alien, and they played along just to humor a dying old man. The kryptonite gloves were fake, and Superman knocked out the boys' wonder in order to keep them from spilling the beans. Jimmy, Robin, Supergirl, and Batgirl were all kept out of the loop in order that Ronald's ruse would succeed in at least some small way. And now that Ronald is dead, while well, he'll always be remembered for his great screen roles, his greatest performance was a private one. And that's a memory the heroes can all treasure. The End I'm really, really mixed on this one and leaning towards frustratingly negative. So we're going to start with something that I have no complaints about, or, or at least few anyway, and that's the art, which is really fantastic. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this is only the second story featuring Superman or Batman that Neil Adams had illustrated. Um, he'd been doing covers for, I think, more than a year at this point, mostly on Superman books, but he didn't draw either character on interior art until the issue prior to this one. But already, 
Adams has a really great handle on both characters. And the Dick Giordano inks only make it even better. Uh, there are a couple places where it looks a little rushed or not as tight as it could be. But generally speaking, there's very little to complain about here. At least as far as the art goes. The story, unfortunately, is a different matter. And this is the type of story that I, as a reader, find extremely frustrating. It starts out with a nice mystery, you know, a good puzzle to solve alongside the heroes. Uh, there's some plot holes and some questions raised, but nothing nothing at all to alert you to the fact that there's more going on. And then at the end, they completely pull the rug out from under you, revealing that the quote-unquote solution, and I'm using air quotes there even though you can't see it the solution to the mystery was that there really never was a mystery to begin with which means the entire story has been a sham there was no way that we the readers could have figured out that ronald jason was pretending to be one alien let alone both aliens and having that revealed in such an out of the blue manner makes me feel like i just wasted the 20 minutes that it took me to read the story it's not quite the Scooby-Doo ending, but it's along that line, and, and I really expect more from a comic book, even one from 1968. Um, and worse, having it revealed that Jason was the alien causes plot holes of its own, such as at the beginning, <laughs> we see Jason, who pulls off a mask to reveal the alien face, which means Jason was wearing an alien mask and then wearing a mask of his own face over the top of that, and we're to believe that he looked completely normal? And why drag Supergirl and Batgirl into this? I mean, yeah, Superman said that they'd hoped that Jason's act would fool somebody, but that's really dangerous. I mean, especially for Batgirl, who, as we saw, got thrown off a cliff by Supergirl and only barely rescued by Batman, while Superman might I add, was pretending to be weakened by kryptonite. I can understand, sort of, that you know they want someone to buy into Jason's act, but why not do it in such a way so that people aren't in danger? And, you know, Jimmy and Robin really had no business in this story, as they didn't serve any purpose. I mean, literally, they... You could cut out every scene with Jimmy and Robin, and the story would change not one bit. And all this leads me to think that this was that the point of this was just to have all the characters in one story, and to try to provoke conflict between Superman and Batman enough that it would necessitate them teaming up with Bat, uh, excuse me, Batgirl and Supergirl. And yeah, seeing Supergirl smack Superman with the giant key was funny. The um, Even though it was, it was short, the fight between Superman and Batman and, and Supergirl and Batgirl was kind of exciting and not something you saw all that much in this era. And like I said, it, the way we were introduced to the story was fine and, and even kind of intriguing, you know, with two aliens telling upset stories and we need to figure out uh, which is telling the truth. You know, that, that's good stuff from a comic in this era, but it just it's just completely ruined at the end when you are blindsided by the swerve. And if I'm wrong, let me know. If I'm missing something here, 
as always, send me an email or leave a comment at the site and we'll discuss it. But I, you know, as it stands now, I just give this story a big thumbs down. Um, I read this story, the, the first time I read this story was actually uh, within the last two years. And when I sat down to read it again for the show, I remembered having some sort of negative reaction to the story, but I didn't remember what that was or why because I had forgotten the ending. But as soon as I read the ending again, the memory of, of why I despised the story so much just came flooding back. Um, so, you know, and you would think in two, two readings basically divorced from one another, I, I would have seen something else if there's something else there but you know i could be wrong so if there is something if if you see some merits in the story as always be sure to write in um right now it's time for a break and then i'll be back for a look at the book's other contents and what else was happening around the spinner rack holy nightmare so we all know who robin is right short pants bad, holy insert object gear jokes, kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat. I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Calabac, Tassad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Ditchick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him! He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. If you want to read this, and I'm not really sure why you would, but other than to look at the art, but you know, if you want to, you should not be able to use not being able to find it as an excuse. Because this has been reprinted more than any other story featured on the show to date. Even more than the very first team-up between Superman and Batman. It was reprinted in Super Team Family Number 3, 
1976, Best of DC Digest, number 16, in 1981, World's Finest Comics, number 302, in 1984, Batman, illustrated by Neil Adams, volume 1, available in both hardcover and trade paperback forms, Superman Batman, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, trade paperback, Showcase Presents Batgirl, volume 1, trade paperback, and Showcase Presents World's Finest, volume 4, trade paperback. And my assumption is one of the primary reasons that this has been reprinted so much is because it does have Superman, Batman, Supergirl, Batgirl, Robin, and Jimmy Olsen getting significant appearances in the story. And the Neil Adams artwork, clearly a benefit to the story as well. Because this, I mean, clearly this is not getting reprinted on the merits of the story itself. But anyway... Uh, The only other feature in the book is a six-page Martian Manhunter story titled The Case of the Magic Baseball, which, with all apologies to the Martian Manhunter fans out there, sounds really, really terrible. The direct current page plugs a myriad of items, including Sergeant Rock in Our Army at War and a Wonder Woman and Supergirl team-up in an upcoming issue of Wonder Woman, which is important because even though the page doesn't mention it, the story was by Bill Finger and was one of his last published stories. The Cape and Cal Comments Letters page has people responding to issue 174, which we've not covered on the show, so we'll move on to the ads. And not a lot of ads to mention either. Um, The only ones that really stood out to me were house ads for the new Hawk and Dove and Angel and the Ape books. This was a time when DC was starting to introduce a lot of those kind of oddball, uh, oddball characters and oddball books um, that 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 are really Bronze Age in a lot of ways, but still very influenced by the Silver Age as well. Uh, the Creeper is right around the corner. Inferior Five, I think, is going at this point. Uh, it's kind of an interesting time with, you know, new creators coming in and offering fresh takes on not only existing characters, but what makes a comic book. Uh, but speaking of, let's head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands alongside this issue. And first up, speaking of new concepts around this time, we have Secret Six, number two by E. Nelson Bridwell, Joe Gill, and Frank Springer. Superman number 207 is a special issue celebrating the Man of Steel's 30th birthday. And didn't we just celebrate his 75th birthday? Uh, we are we are all very, very old. Anyway, behind a great Kurt Swan, Neil Adams cover, this uh, issue, Superman number 207, reprints five stories from about a decade earlier. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 111, has a Neil Adams cover featuring Elastic Lad facing off against the ugly Superman in a wrestling ring. And this references a story inside, which actually is a Robert Bernstein story reprinted from Jimmy Olsen, number 54, but expanded with a couple extra story pages written by E. Nelson Bridwell. Um... I've never read it, but Green Lantern number 61 has Hal Jordan and Alan Scott on the cover, so apparently there's a team-up of some sort there. 
And another issue I've never read is Batman number 202. But it's got a great Irv Novick cover. Uh, Batman and Robin are looming over a grave in a foggy cemetery. And the stone reads, Here will lie Batman and Robin. And someone should really start a podcast looking at Batman stories from this era and the Bronze Age. Uh, If the stories are as cool as the covers, that would be really interesting for a podcast. Um, But speaking of Batman, the Dark Knight joins Batgirl and Wonder Woman in a Bob Haney-written story in Brave and the Bold number 78 as they take on the Copperhead in the very first appearance of that villain. Uh, Justice League of America number 63 has a completely awesome cover of Superman standing triumphant over the fallen forms of his Justice League teammates while screaming, Now who's the toughest Justice Leaguer of them all? And this is written by Gardner Fox as he is uh, he's actually winding down his time on the title. Um, his last issue as regular writer was issue 65, so he's just got a couple more to go. And the last thing I see worth mentioning is Action Comics number 364, The Untouchable from Krypton, which was covered on episode 8 of Scott Gardner's I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman, which you can find over at twotruefreaks.com. It's been about a year since Scott put out regular episodes of that particular show, but hopefully he'll get back to it someday. And that's it. I want to thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to keep writing in. Uh, The email address is michael at greatcrypton.com. Send me your thoughts on the show or the stories covered. Uh, Like I said at the the top of the episode, I'm planning on doing a feedback episode at the end of the month. So be sure to write in today and make sure I get your email in time. Uh, But that's it for me. Once more, thanks a lot for joining me, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Chill out, what she yelling for? Lay back, it's all been done before. And if you could only let it be, you would see. I like you the way you are when we're driving in your car. And you're talking to me one on one, but you become somebody else round everyone else. Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and both characters are copyright DC Comics. 
For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. What's she yelling for? Lay back, it's all been done before. And if you could only let it be, you will see somebody else round Closing music was Avril Lavigne's Complicated from her 2002 album Let Go. If you'd like to get this song or the album, again, we're going to file that under poor life choices. Still, the best way to go about getting the song is to head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up a CD, digital download, or pretty much anything else your heart desires, and Two True Freaks will get a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra, but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks-related podcasts. Much like the song, it's really not that complicated. You would see somebody else around everyone else Watching your back like you can't relax Trying to be cool, look like a fool to me I know I do. The thing about that song that I love is I don't really understand what's so complicated. It's really cut and dry. It doesn't seem like, you know, you have to write it. Make it, I mean, like if somebody came to me and I was like, that guy, and you know, like, why do you have to make it so complicated? I'd be like, what are you talking about? I'll dress up differently with different people. I have a double life here. We have this thing at home that I really like, but... At the same time, I like to, you know, wear a tie and dress up. It's, I'm not taking off these crappy clothes. I fucking like them. <laughs>